0: When I walked into the gay lifestyle, it was the first time that I ever felt like I belonged in a place and I wasn't being mistreated and I wasn't being mistreated by the guys because that's all I knew was being bullied and attacked. We certainly need to be more sensitive
1: and aware for those that are wrestling with identity issues that those are painful places and we need to handle those as a church in a way that is inviting people into the light, inviting people into the freedom that Jesus has for them not stirring up shame or uh, defensiveness that is actually going to work against the movement of the Holy Spirit in their life.
0: I had so much resentment and anger just building up inside of me thinking, why am I being condemned for something I didn't ask for? And then I got to deal with all this other garbage on top of it. So by the time I hit 18, i just went full on rebellion i
1: prayed the sinner's prayer i don't know how many times growing up as a as a kid i did not come to genuine faith in jesus until my until probably 23 years of age and so had i had someone around me who was a progressive who was telling me i could have my boyfriend i could have a husband i can have jesus i can have all of this i they would have been in the out of the best of their intentions patting my butt right into hell because i would never surrendered my life to jesus up to that point and walking out of Um, My sin and rebellion was part of the
0: surrender of giving my life to Jesus. To the woke Christians who think, oh, I'm so wonderful, I'm affirming this, you would be mortified if you knew the truth of what you're really pushing them into. Not only into a lifestyle where they're never going to find peace and happiness, but you're pushing them into further rebellion against God. We're talking about their souls.
1: Hey, everybody. We want to welcome you to another podcast from Love and Truth Network. Uh, We are so happy to have George Carneal with us today. I've known about George for many, many years, but only recently became introduced to him through uh, my assistant, Jeremiah, Uh, and this is just a a treat for us to be able to have some time to hear George's story and then just some dialogue back and forth. So we're really glad that you're here watching or listening in to this podcast, and we certainly hope and pray that this is going to be an encouragement for you or a podcast that you can refer to loved ones or what have you to encourage them as well. He's also written a book. It's been out for a number of years. He'll talk about the details of that, but the book is called From Queer to Christ, And we again are thrilled to have him in studio here with us for our podcast to share some of his story and for us just to be able to engage in some important cultural uh, discussion and topics together. Thanks so much for being here, George. Thank you for having me, Gary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one thing we do with each podcast for everyone who shares with us, regardless of what their background is, regardless of how Jesus met them, whether they were six years old or whether they were 30 or 60 or whatever, we just love for them to share their story. And sometimes those stories are often uh, with our podcast and often with uh, some of the the folks that we have on our podcast, the story is pretty significant and deep in terms of what God brought somebody out of different areas of addiction and things like that. Of course, everyone's story of coming to salvation is significant and is in is deep in its own way and there's actually something really meaningful and beautiful about somebody who has not gone to the links that i have the links that i know uh, you have in in the lord having to rescue us from some of those pretty you know dark and ugly places but um we are thrilled that you're here today and thrilled that we get to hear some of your story and the way that god's worked in your life so if you don't mind just starting off a little bit for the next 10 12 minutes or so just share some of the thumbnail of your own story.
0: Well, my father is a Southern Baptist minister, and growing up just struggling with my faith and my same my sexuality, my same-sex attraction, I just wanted to write the book to give Christians some insight into what it's like for individuals who are really struggling with this issue, and to better be better equipped in terms of how to witness to them and help them through this. Because I think what a lot of Christians don't understand is is that when you are told that you can only serve God or you can have a partner of the same sex but you can't do both because it is an abomination that's a very hard pill for people to swallow mm-hmm. because we all want to love and be loved and I think that's what made my journey so difficult because I certainly didn't want to hurt God's feelings but I also wanted to love and have a boyfriend And I was just struggling with that issue. So I I go into detail about that. And then also I wanted parents to know that if you have children who are in that lifestyle, it's not the end of the world and it's nothing that God can't handle. He's delivering so many people out of that life. Mm. So I hope that it will also help you navigate the do's and don'ts of what to do as not to push your child away. Because if you push them into that lifestyle and cut off that communication, they're going to be around people. And there's, where they don't care about them and there are going to be no godly influences. Mm -hmm. And lastly, for those LGBT individuals who think, oh, well, these guys are either really still gay or they're miserable or they're just uh, brainwashed by religion, it's really to give you some insight into why we have chosen to walk this path and to follow Christ and the freedom that can be found. It's not so much about your sexuality as far as the freedom and just serving a God who loves you and wants a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just want them to know that there is hope. And if you've tried everything else, what do you have to lose by giving Jesus a chance? And just simply listening to our stories and know that they are of love and hope because while God hates the sin of homosexuals and heterosexuals, he loves us and Jesus died for all of us. And that's the message I really want LGBT individuals to understand that if you've unfortunately gone through some abuse by mean-spirited Christians who didn't have the heart of Christ, know that don't put that on God because he really does love you and he's rooting for you and he truly wants a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. So I hope it's a message of hope. That's great. That's great.
1: I'd love to <laughs> loop back around to your book a little bit later too, and make sure that people know where to find that. And it is a great resource. The uh, The thing you mentioned to kind of start off is that you're uh, the son of a Baptist pastor. And one of the, when I hear that, the first thought that comes to my mind is okay i think that's enough of a testimony right there you know to know that uh, <laughs> life can be di- really hard as uh, a missionary kid or a pastor's kid or one that just really grew up kind of under the thumb of a of a lot of religion and a lot of do's and don'ts versus what can versus the opportunity to to know which direction to choose what direction to go in what the bible teaches we definitely want to know that but also to pair that with love and compassion and and really good modeling. That's one of the things I missed is there was so little modeling of the truth of Scripture. And, and so there was very little relational connection to it too. So I know that some of that is true from your experience, and we'd love to hear just more of the details of uh, what you went through as a kid and as a young adult and moving into uh, actual adulthood in your early, late teens, early 20s
0: well i resented being a preacher's kid only in that you live in this little fishbowl and i was all and yeah. you can't make mistakes and parents and the pastors have to be perfect the the family has to be perfect and when other kids around me were drinking smoking doing drugs getting pregnant out of wedlock You know, if we simply just slipped and said a curse word, it was Armageddon, you know? And I really resented that. And I didn't want that kind of attention anyway, because I didn't even want attention at school. And I was getting all of this unwanted attention by the bullies and being attacked. So I really resented it. And then when you would eventually hear people speak about Sodom and Gomorrah and just the venom that would be behind it, it just made me feel worse about myself. I didn't know who to trust. And Gary, as you and I know, back when we were growing up, decades ago, um, it was really dangerous to come out, or if people even suspected you were homosexual, you could have your life destroyed, your business ruined, um, people would physically attack you, and people have been murdered for simply identifying as uh, gay or lesbian, as it was at the time. So it was a a well-rounded fear, and so I had so much resentment and anger just building up. Mm inside of me thinking, why am I being condemned for something I didn't ask for? And then I got to deal with all this other garbage on top of it. So by the time I hit 18, I just went full-on rebellion, not so much to rebel against God, but when I walked into the gay lifestyle, it was the first time that I ever felt like I belonged in a place and I wasn't being mistreated and I wasn't being mistreated by the guys because that's all I knew was being bullied and attacked. And so I was really looking for them to fill a void that I didn't realize only Jesus could fill. And sadly for me, Gary, I wished someone had taken the time to explain to me that when, when reading God's word, when he's angry, he's only angry because people are doing things that he knows is going to harm them. I always thought God was just ready to pounce on us when we messed up. And if I had been able to get that chip off my shoulder and really see where God was coming from, that when he says, do these things, that means you're going to have all this peace and wonderful things happening in your life and being obedient to him. And when you rebel and do the things that he warns us not to do, it's just going to bring more heartache and suffering into your life. And it's just sad that I never saw God as coming from a place of like a, a an earthly father or mother who tells you don't touch the hot stove or don't run out in the street without looking both ways. They're doing it because they love you. And I would just say to any LGBT individual, if you could remove the chip from your shoulder or dissolve any of the notions that you already have about God from what you've heard from others, and if you will sit down and read God's word and just listen to what God is saying and see it from his perspective, man, it's a, it's a life changer. It's a game changer. And that's why I was so glad to finally get out of that life because as you know, Gary, we um, we were bombarded by what is nothing but a cult, an LGBT cult being bombarded with messages from the media, Hollywood, the LGBT activists, and especially the liberal theologians who are absolutely twisting and corrupting God's word to the point of where I didn't know what was up or down or left or right anymore. I didn't know what real truth was until I finally read God's Word, and truly listen to God, and that's where I found my freedom. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's such a powerful story. And I know from reading the the early parts of your book, you talk about, well, actually, in, in, not throughout your whole book, but it, well beyond the very first pages, you talk about your father basically losing uh, positions as a pastor and, and the church. I mean, that was my experience too, that growing up in church it seemed like you know on the on the occasions that i unfortunately wound up going to an annual business meeting i mean i was just shocked by the vitriol and the and frankly the stupid things that people were talked about and it seemed like it was just an opportunity to kind of rag on the pastor about a number i mean there might have been some legitimate things but but there was so much that wasn't there was so much that was just ridiculous and and even if there were some legitimate concerns the way that people communicated was so ugly and and so we're hearing messages from the pulpit and and messages from Sunday school teachers and from other people in the church about things that are true but then you're watching the behavior kind of throughout the week if you're connecting with these families certainly within my own family and 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 my my parents were were good people i mean they love jesus and they wanted to raise us well and i'm sure that's true for others in the church but somehow there was just such a lack of of actually Christian virtue and love in many respects that um it seemed like there was just a lot of antagonism, a lot of anger that would spew over. and and I know I, we had pastors that often, um were were kicked out of the church or fired or whatever be or we'd move from one church to another because my dad was mad at the pastor over one thing or another and so it just it, it it's really tough being a pastor but it's also tough being a pastor's kid and watching what's happening to your father do you um how do you how do you connect kind of with what I'm saying there was that Do you feel like that had an impact on your view of the church or even your view of God in the way that your dad was treated and handled?
0: Yeah, it was hard not to take it personally. And I resented what they put my family through, and especially my father. But even today, when I have parents who reach out to me, and even pastors who have LGBT individuals or or children, and they are completely at a loss as to how to help them, and they are so desperate for answers. And Gary, I have actually said to them, do you have a a core group of people within your church that you can talk to about this, where they can also pray for your child? And they will hands down tell me, no, I don't trust Christians. How sad. And it just, it it brings up that resentment, that bitterness, and that rage that I would feel that the church, which should be the one place where we walk in and not be proud of our sin, but simply say, look, I'm really struggling with this knowing that people would have such compassion and empathy that they would say, thank you for sharing. Now we know how to pray for you. If you ever need someone to talk to or someone else has been through that, here, let's connect you to someone else, or even women who've had abortions, who carry that guilt. How are they able to find peace of, of knowing that if they truly have remorse for what they've done, it's done, that there is still peace and forgiveness available at the cross and Jesus will do that for anyone. Mm-hmm. It's just sad Gary that we can't walk in and each of us state I'm really struggling with this or pornography or whatever it is and and find a group of people who will lift you and uplift you know uplift you and pray for you and help you through it. Uh, it just it really makes my blood boil mm-hmm. to th- to see as you well know Gary especially LGBT individuals who so desperately want out of that life. You know, what would really make my blood boil is, boil is that the pastors would rail against the homosexuals, the sodomites, the perverts, but they don't want to lift a hand to help them. Um, when I found out that people were talking about me in one church where they suspected I was, along with a couple of other people, instead of them getting on their knees and praying for us, it was just easier for them to gossip and talk about mm-hmm. us. What would have happened had they prayed for us? and say, we're not going to gossip. We're going to lift these individuals up and pray that God will deliver them out of that bondage. So there's a lot of emotions that come up at play with this. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just sad uh, that the church eats its own, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: and of course, um, I mean, and I've seen that for sure. And I've also seen, though, churches that um, have become really compassionate. And 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 what I mean by that is I've seen, I think you and I both would agree that we've seen churches who, that have been very traditional, I, I'll use that word, and, and very legalistic. That's probably a better descriptor. And you and I grew up, I think, in a lot of that background, that experience. And I didn't, certainly was not around progressive churches at all. There were progressive Christians, really, that I knew anything about growing up as a kid. And which actually the better word for that would be liberal or libertine, uh, and and where where the pendulum has swung so far from the legalistic side that now we have churches and mainline denominations that are affirming you know anything and everything. That's an exaggeration, but they're affirm they're affirming a lot of things that the Bible clearly calls sin. Let's put it that way. And and so and then there's these churches in between that. Believe what the traditional legalistic churches are teaching, many of them. But they they also understand they want to communicate it. They want to live it out in a way that's actually life giving. The 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 principles of God aren't just rules to be used as a as a two by four over someone's head. They're not for that purpose at all. They're rather to protect us. And this is something you were alluding to earlier, speaking to earlier. They actually are there. To protect us. It is the the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the kindness of God that uh that has given us the law and has given us principles to live by because within those principles, when we live them out, we're actually flourishing as human beings. We're actually living, you know, to to use a, a phrase that is often thrown around today, living our best life, not talking about um, name and claim it Christianity, but truly living a life that is meaningful and has value where we actually have authority over our own bodies to, to make choices that align with God's Word to make choices that are that are actually again the best for human thriving. And so you know as as, as you're sharing, one of the things I'm thinking of, I just recently finished Laura Perry's book, and and Laura has since gone on and and uh, she's married now and uh to a wonderful man and her last name has changed i'm drawing a blank on her last on her um, uh, married name but her maiden name is Laura Perry and her book is called Transgender to Transformed and in her book she talks about how when she finally Finally, finally, you know, and we've—I think you and I have probably experienced a number of what we thought were finales, and then uh, it kind of hit bottom, and it really wasn't the bottom. But when she finally turned her life over to Jesus and surrendered, and then there was this process of of yielding and becoming more obedient, and that that really took time for her to come from this place of living as a man and having been on testosterone, being known at work and and in her social. Sphere as uh, as a man, which of course she was not. She was a woman, always had been. And when she finally came to a place of surrender and and choosing to embrace, choosing to leave that life and embrace who she was as a woman, which was a journey. It didn't wasn't just some point in time, but there was a decision. There was an obedience point. And when she came back to the church that she grew up in, when she came back to the church where her mom and dad were still attending, that church. She was blown away by how much that church loved her, by how excited the women in that church were to see her, by the way that they just, um, they welcomed her. They wanted her to sit with them. They want, I mean, and and she was expecting rejection. She was kind of projecting, I think, from what I read, mm-hmm. projecting her own uh, fears and some of her bad experiences on the entire Christian community, which I've done that. I'm Probably you've done that. But but I'm in, I'm simply saying all this because I'm encouraged that there are churches out there where people are aware of their really un, understanding their own propensity towards sin, their own um, ability to go into all kinds of dark places. If, if if it wasn't for the grace of God, if God wasn't really protecting them, and and if they were not yielding to that, and and yet being really compassionate toward people who have gone into those dark places that God is drawing out again. And so I'm encouraged that there are those churches for sure. And honestly, the reason our ministry exists, I think one of the reasons that you're doing ministry, there's not, it's not the only reason you're doing ministry. um, But one of the reasons that, that we're doing the work we're doing is because we want to see the church become more equipped to be able to have that kind of response to the kind of response that they had toward Laura. And, and so I'm, I'm, thrilled every time I read about that or see that or hear those testimonies. But too often, I still hear testimonies like yours and mine, uh, where where the church was not a safe place. But of course, I eventually, the Lord led me in my early 30s to a church that was uh, really, in many ways, like Laura Perry's church, which she found. And I'm so grateful for that. But man, I, I attended a number of churches that were in many ways good churches but they weren't—they weren't prepared and equipped to really look for lost sheep and and welcome them back. The other thing that I think of, George, when you talk about how there was a lot of vitriol and and speaking out against you know homosexuals and that kind of thing, and 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 labeling with some obviously very pejorative terms um but i wonder all and you talked about praying for you and and praying for others that may be struggling and i i so agree with that but i also believe that along with prayer the idea of of a godly man or or godly men or godly women for women particularly um that the idea of them taking notice and yes praying for us but also inviting us into their space inviting us into um, maybe a, a a group of several guys that are meeting, and and I would be scared to death to go into that, but if I did, and they handled that situation well, and they were compassionate toward me, and they shared their own sin struggles, and and talked openly about that, and prayed for one another around that, that would have drawn me in, um, mm-hmm. and and given me, I think, a sense of hope. And eventually, that's what wound up happening, but we're talking about a couple of, you know, several decades after growing up in the church. So, um, anyway, I think what I would love to see, and I'd love for you to comment on this, what I would love to see are, are churches that take on a perspective of becoming a teaching hospital, and people that have listened to my podcast before know that I talk about this several times um, or often, this idea of taking on more of a teaching hospital perspective where we are coming... In our brokenness to the cross, where we're coming to Christ in brokenness, we're maybe coming out of addiction or what have you, or maybe as a Christian we wandered off. Even as a, as ones that have put our faith in Christ, we've still wandered off for whatever reason into places that are dark and broken. We're coming back, but the idea that God could still equip us to be nurses and to be doctors, to be family medicine, you know, kind of general practitioners, as well as ones that might um, uh, practice in a particular area of of need or expertise in the body that i believe spiritually speaking and emotionally speaking is desperately needed in in the church today for people to have that sense that the church is the place to go not the place to run from because we're going to be filled with shame over our brokenness i mean what are your thoughts
0: about those
1: things i'm sharing
0: you were spot on um unfortunately for me i either were was in churches where they were very if you say legalistic or just very conservative and and you know, just very hard-nosed about those homosexuals, or mm-hmm. I was in churches where they were very liberal and they embraced it. Right. And I just couldn't find any peace. Gary, I think for me, if there had been two or three men in a church along the way who recognized something in me when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and thought, something seems a little off, but I'm going to lovingly approach if they lovingly approached me and just said, hey, is there anything that you're going through that you want to talk about and just share? And I promise you, it will be kept between us. Right, Gary, how, I I just wonder what my life would have been like had I been able to talk to someone and just, and they lovingly just kind of, yes, show me in scripture where God's word condemns it, but turn around and show me in Scripture where God is invested in us. Yes. He loves us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He formed us in the womb. And, and, and look at the brokenness of the people in God's Word that He used for great things. Has someone just taken the time to allow me to get this out of my head? How does a, a 7, 8, 12, 14, 18-year-old process this monster in which, unlike today where everybody talks about it and you have the internet— and everybody's out and proud, and you've got drag queens. Back then, there weren't out and proud celebrities. So I had no one to talk to, and I think that's what just made me so miserable and sad and depressed, and I just felt useless, and I was so angry with God. And even when my father would speak about Sodom and Gomorrah, I would just sit there and seethe and look at him like, I hate you. Mm -hmm. You know what? I didn't ask for this. If you want to reject me, if God wants to reject me, fine, I reject you. And that's really the root core of just this pain, the shame, the, cha- the trauma, the rejection. So I just wish Christians would, as one pastor said to me, it really is having compassion without compromise. Yes. We don't want to be too sterile and hard-nosed, and we don't want to be so liberal that you just accept anything. Yes. But where we can truly realize what Jesus did when he spoke to the woman at the well or the woman who was caught in adultery. He never once affirmed their sin, but he maintained such compassion toward them because he wants us to change. Yep. So if if people could approach it from that standpoint and realize you're no better than anybody else, we all mm-hmm. sin and fall short. No one is good. Let's all get off our high horses and look at, look at people and get to know them, find out their story so you know how to help them and guide them, and give these people hope. Yes. It would have made things so much easier for me.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I so relate to that. And also, the phrase that you just used, that that pastor used, reminds me of a book by that exact title, uh, written by Ron Sitlau, which is, I think he co-authored it, actually, Ron Sitlau. And the title of that book is Compassion Without Compromise. And And so, that is, Ron is now a pastor, and has been for many years, and has been involved in ministry for many years, but comes out of a lot of Addiction of a variety of kinds. And so great book uh, for anybody that's interested in, and I think rightly so, understanding how can I love well, love radically, but yet not uh, get have people confused about me affirming sinful behavior or whatever. The other thing that I think of too, um, as you're talking, George, is it's not just that you know we're, we're looking for people, to understand or not even understand, but to give compassion, uh, for those who are wrestling with same-sex attraction in some ways, it, it, it's not something like I've had some people who have expressed real compassion, but they have no understanding exact. They don't like it's so far from their own experience of you know no same sex attraction whatsoever they don't get that necessarily but what they do get is their own struggle their own and mm-hmm. and they and so and and also as they listen to our story it's they have aha moments of oh i never realized that these things the way that, the 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 lack of of uh, oftentimes for us as boys the lack of meaningful connection with dad or the lack of or or some of the harshness that came from him the way we pushed away from that or the way that we didn't connect with our own peers or the way that boys were rough and tumble and we kind of we wanted to be that way, but we weren't and we felt safer with girls. I mean, all of those as you start to unpack all those experiences, the the bullying, both verbal and physical and all of that. And the there was a phrase that you used in your book that I highlighted. I mean, it just so spoke to me. And it was it was that idea that for school, I mean, the idea of you going to school was more, it wasn't about education, it was about survival. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so, that resonated so, so much with me about my um, experience. Every single day felt like trying to avoid being beaten up, being, you know, avoiding the bullies at all costs, constantly on high alert all the time. And it was just, there wasn't a day that went by that didn't feel that way. And and mm-hmm. so when people start to understand, oh, these are some of the things that fed into that early sexualization, sexual abuse that doesn't always happen uh, for those who experience same sex attraction at all, but it, but it does happen on occasion. And certainly, oftentimes early sexualization, pornography exposure, um, you know, masturbation that often starts right you know right around the time of puberty or what have you, and those become addictive patterns, and combined with the the gaps that we have. In connecting with our own gender, oftentimes our legitimate need that God gave us to bond with our own gender that be winds up becoming sexualized. And once that starts, and 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 it fuels this constant repetition of of pornography use and masturbation and all of that, it really feeds that um, that sense that oh my gosh, I guess I was born this way. Or I, I th- it it does. I, I think the I think those who feel like oh I was born this way. It feels that way. I felt that way. I thought that must be the case because it's so strong, it's so intense. But I, but there was a lot of learned behavior and a lot of reinforcement of my um, desires and attractions through my behavior. Certainly, even before puberty, but but after that and onward. So, um, but coming back to that idea of church being a safe place of of we need spiritual fathers and mothers, frankly. And we need uh, we need older brothers and sisters in the best sense, not like the elder brother of the of the story of the lost son or the prodigal, but rather older in the sense of hey, I'm I'm a little further down this road. I don't have a chip on my shoulder, but I see that you're struggling, and I'm going to come alongside of you as an older brother, older sister, and I want to pour it into your life. Like this is what this is what the, the kingdom is about, discipleship. It's about um, helping you become a disciple of others, but an authentic disciple, not one who lives a double life and is is doing all these secret private things and then coming, coming out in public and acting like you have it all together, but rather let's live an integrated life, but that comes through life-on-life life discipleship. And did you experience, I mean, I know growing up, it doesn't sound like me, like you had any of that growing up, did you did you discover that at some
0: point in your journey where people were pouring into you? I don't. I honestly can't think of a time where anyone poured into me, mm-hmm. to be quite honest, Gary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess that's why I'm so sensitive. Now when I go to churches or to playgrounds, I watch for especially the little boys who seem to be off to the side by themselves and no one's playing with them. Mm-hmm. My heart breaks for them. Mm-hmm. I know if I were to ever play sports again, and I would challenge those who have this, oh, we got to win attitude. How about picking the weaklings and the losers and the outcasts first, those who aren't good at sports? Mm-hmm. It will make their day just knowing that somebody chose me first. I was almost always chosen last, yeah. pretty much. Um And the thing I would say to fathers, especially if you don't want your boys to grow up and go search for love from men, it's important to get over this macho attitude because some boys are very sensitive and it doesn't mean they're gay. It just could be the way that they are wired and God may, because they may just be more creative and more sensitive. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, God creates us for a myriad of reasons the way that he does. But if you don't hug your child, I know for me, if I have boys from like the first seven, eight years of their life, I am going, to, I would smother them with hugs mm-hmm. and kisses, Gary, and affirm them because I would want them to know when they finally start getting out there with the boys and stuff, I would want them to know, I love you and I'm proud of you. You can always come and talk to me right. about anything. I won't ever shame you, but I'm going to make sure that they are hugged and kissed on. You know what I mean? Yep. Just hugging them, kissing them on the forehead, just telling them how much I'm Pouring so out proud affection of you my on son. Them. Yes. Yep. So they will never, ever be deficient to where they will go into the lifestyle and try to find what I should have given them as a father. So I really, and this is the same for mothers and their daughters, we really must, the media is always pushing the father, daughter, mother, son relationship, but it's backwards. We really must push the same sex relationship and bonding. And that's, And I think that's why there are so many gays and lesbians out there because they are. there's a disconnect with their same-sex parent. I think, yes, there are other factors, but I think that also is a big factor. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, sorry, no, I, no, that's fine. Yeah. I, that's, that's perfectly fine.
1: I, what I feel, what I believe uh, in in having been in pastoral staff for a number of years and walking out the journey that I've been on as well and talking with lots of different people such as yourself, the, the other thing that I think needs to be mentioned here as well is that... Uh, um, it's not always the reality of the situation that a child finds themselves in that they that they kind of latch onto. It's more importantly, it's the perception of the child. Whatever we whatever we perceive to be true, and and of course, much of our perception is accurate, but a lot of it it's not either. And so we can perceive like we can have some bad circumstances or situations, or let's just say, for example dad's having a really bad day. I mean, maybe he got fired um, from work or there's some major stressor going on at work or a stress that's happening between him and mom or, or in, in his own immediate family. It could be any number of things. But as a kid, we don't have any of those details. We don't know what's going on. All we feel like is what dad is feeling, the negative stuff that he's feeling is being poured out toward me. And in some cases it is, right? Like dad may have a short fuse and he overreacts and in a situation with me, but I internalize that as being about me. That that's that that's not dad doing something wrong or dad having a bad day. That is dad. That is that's dad being angry with me, and somehow I'm wrong or I'm bad. And so my perception solidifies something that's really not even in his heart uh, in terms of how he feels about me. But when, especially when those things, let's, there's there can be stressful, incredibly stressful seasons. That happen, and they they may go on for for months or six months or 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 a number of years, and 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 it's very easy in those um, kind of chronic circumstances to very much internalize and feel like those experiences only prove what we thought were true before. So, in other words, I'm saying all that to say we at, may have a dad or a mom who adores us, who loves us deeply, and for whatever reason, what's going on in their life um outside of us their their junk is being experienced and felt by us especially when it comes to boys who are more sensitive that's that's you know i have brothers who didn't experience same sex attraction at all uh not in, in any way shape or form and and yet they experienced a similar similar way that my dad was and those kinds of things there was a lot of brokenness um not with all my brothers but with a couple of them with my dad and so the um but but they didn't deal with same sex attraction but nor did they nor were they as highly sensitive and and so quick to internalize the negativity as something that was about me and and so that perception is really critical and but that doesn't ignore the fact or or isn't to say that that real things didn't happen or that there were terrible experiences that happened whether it was experiences of physical abuse at home or emotional abuse or sexual abuse or the reality of, of going through a divorce, you know, as a kid and seeing mom and dad go through all of that. I mean, that's that alone is is traumatizing. Chronic neglect is a massive issue, rejection in general. So there are a lot of things we experience that are unbelievably painful, but I do, if parents are listening to this or, or others, it doesn't matter. The, the reality that our perception feels like concrete fact, when in fact, it's not always that way. Um, and so some of our belief system that flows out of how I feel about myself, what I believe to be true about me, what I be believe to be true about others, that be it mom, dad, others, and what I believe to be true about God especially, is oftentimes based on our on our perceptions, which aren't always rooted in fact, certainly not when it comes to God. Thoughts about that? Yes.
0: And Gary, as you well know, what I wished I had also known then was we also have to look at the fact of what did our parents come from? Because when you also have two broken parents or a broken parent, how can you expect them? They're broken. How can they help you? So that later in life helped me to understand more of what my parents had gone through and what they had been through growing up allowed me to extend a lot more grace and empathy and compassion to them right. and just forgive. Right. So yeah, you're also dealing with some issues there. So a father who's never had love from his own father and and was always angry and yelling or alcoholic or the mother was abusive, controlling, nitpicking and griping all of the time, whatever it is, <laughs> uh, how do you expect them to, to sh- show love to a daughter or a son? So. Yeah,
1: and I that's right. I, I I think it is helpful to look back and understand, you know, what our parents came from. One of the things that um that the program Living Waters helped me and my wife and many, many we've seen hundreds of people go through it just in our in our own local group. But in this Living Waters is a program that was produced by Andy Kamitsky and Desert Stream Ministries. It's been around for over four decades. It's such a tried and true amazing program. But one of the things that we, um, that that program helped us process is that it's, it is important to understand at some point and, and to, uh, to be informed over what our parents went through. And honestly, in many ways, in many ways, not all of us, but many of us had it better than they did uh, in many respects, because they did try to, to make changes. They did try to improve and not in every case, but in many cases. Uh, But one of the things that Living Water stresses is, yes, we want to get to forgiveness, absolutely. But what we also have to recognize, sometimes we sweep under the carpet uh, the offenses that have been done against us as kids or the things that we didn't get as children that were pretty traumatic, either in and of themselves in an experience or cumulatively really robbed us of a sense of, of worth or well-being or that I have what it takes, or, you know, there's so many different things that that could have um lies that that could have been that could have poisoned our soul through that. But it's important that we uh do move toward forgiveness, but we also have to be honest about what actually happened, like what we did or did not did get that we shouldn't have gotten beatings or or um, neglect, or, or or in what we didn't, which would be more along the lines of neglect. And so in order for us to really heal and invite Jesus into those places, we can't simply, um, and this is, I'm not saying in any way that this is what you've done. I'm simply, you bring up a great point, and I just want to kind of highlight this, is that we can't simply look at mom and dad's background and say, oh, they did the best they could, and and that kind of washes um over or negates what I went through. But rather, I think biblically we need to recognize no, there was real pain. There was real loss. There was, there was real trauma that happened in my life. And I'm going to invite Jesus into that. I'm going to invite a few others. That's one of the beauties of Living Waters is it's done in a in a small group context for 20 weeks of walking with the same men or walking with the same women um, in your small group. And, and you're going to walk together with them into some of these painful places where you're being prayed for, where, where you're praying in turn for them and, and really inviting Jesus in, a lot of listening prayer, being quiet and listening for the Lord on how he wants to bring healing to a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old area of wounding or pain that is still affecting and infecting our lives. So I say all that to say that after we give genuine forgiveness, after we receive healing in those wounded places, I think then it's such a such a good and right thing to really consider, um, yeah, look at what mom and dad went through though, and look at what they did to try to mitigate and, and improve upon how they parented. Now again, in some cases they didn't improve. In some cases they <laughs> did the same thing, you know, or they did worse. But I think in most cases they were trying to do a better job. The other thing I think of too, in my parents' generation is, um, and and I think your parents were maybe a little bit younger than mine, but in their generation, the church wasn't talking about about, um, how to walk with kids through trauma. The church wasn't talking, when I was exposed to porn at the age of five or six and homosexual behavior by older neighborhood boys, and I finally said something to my mom, she had no, other than to say, you can't play with those boys anymore. That was, in in their minds, it was like, whoo, you know, dodge that bullet. You know, that salute, uh, that's all over with. And, and the church didn't have any way of equipping parents or any kind of counseling. There wasn't Christian counseling going on back then, or at least not to the degree it is now. So I think that there are a lot more resources and tools for those of us who will um, avail ourselves of those things so that we can actually parent in a much, much more meaningful way and and here's a phrase I love, which is to shepherd the hearts of our children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rather than applying only behavior management, which is what I experienced. I think that's what a lot of what you experienced was a lot of behavior management. But I my parents never even the idea, I'm sure, never even crossed their mind of the need to shepherd the heart of their children.
0: Yeah. I will say Gary, if this helps anyone, really what helped me was when I started getting into counseling, Mm. I finally got smart for a change. And I started asking God, I said, would you please be a part of my counseling Mm. session? Because as you know, Gary, the counselor kind of has to feel around and ask a lot of questions to help try to get to the root core. And I was just like, I just said, God, have that counselor ask the questions of things that you want me to look at. Yes or else bring to mind things that perhaps I've forgotten about, or I don't feel that they are significant. Mm -hmm. And I was amazed at how productive not only were my counseling sessions, but I was really starting to deal with some root core trauma and shame and abuse and just a lot of issues. So I want to say to anyone who's going to go into counseling, not only do I highly recommend it because you have a a neutral voice, a, a place of where hopefully it's safe you can share what's on your mind, and, and you can get an outsider's perspective on things as they guide and lead you on that path, hopefully a Christian counselor, but also when you've got the Holy Spirit working in the session, you can't go wrong. So that really started to just bring down some barriers and, and blockages of things that I had forgotten yes. about to really start working on those issues. Yeah, that's such a great point.
1: And that that kind of goes back to, um, you know, the, the Lord knows what we need, and he know and even though it feels like i think everybody listening to this podcast or watching it can agree you know and and i, I don't know of there's probably been times in my life where god has shown up early <laughs> but it's not many it's usually like right on time and for me it almost feels like it's really late you know and and uh but he does <laughs> yeah. know what we need and and so when i was asking even uh earlier about you know have, have there been any what what are the experiences of where uh, men poured into your life, or where you had uh, some discipleship, and sadly, and and this it, it took a long time for me to find this, for the Lord to bring this about in my life. But you didn't, ha- don't really have any recollection of that. But you do have that counseling experience of somebody who, um, who knew how to ask the right questions, and 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 the truth is, Christians. I I harp on this a lot. We need to learn how to ask better questions, frankly, and we don't need a PhD in human sexuality. We don't need a master's degree in counseling as Christians to have deep and big impact in the lives of one another. Now, that doesn't negate the fact that there's trauma and there's other issues in our lives that I think counselors are really trained and equipped and have the experience to know how to really walk with us through deep places where kind of your average person doesn't. And so, I think there's a huge role um, for counseling in the church, but I also feel like there's many of us as Christians that that just kind of want to push people off into counseling uh, or to the pastor or whatever. And we, we are not—we're kind of being lazy and not equipping ourselves with um, the tools that that the Lord could equip us with to to really do a, a pretty darn good job of walking with people and helping them process a, a lot of stuff. And yes. Maybe they do need a counselor in their life. Let's not let let's escalate that to the person who can maybe really handle trauma well. But we can still walk with those people in their everyday life in a way that builds them up and lifts them up. So I'm so grateful that you brought up the counseling uh, or or talked about your experience of counseling because it is such a critical thing to find wherever it is. To, whether it's in a pastor, whether it's in a good listener as a Christian who's just a mature mom or a mature dad and 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 are willing to put their arm around us and walk with us in this journey, or it's actually finding that counselor, um, we need to be pursuing the things that will lead to life for us, where we can find um, freedom from the bondage or the chains that have held us
0: for frankly way too long. Yeah, Gary, and I'd like to make a very important point I had six sets of parents reach out to me in the Midwest and they all met at a house and we did a video call mm. and I briefly shared my testimony and then I answered any questions I have because they all had LGBT kids. And one of the things I said, and this was so important, mm. I said, you must, I don't care if you've lived a sheltered life, this is a different world we live in yes. today. Your kids must be able to come to you and say, mom or dad, I did this and I did this and I did this. And instead of you reacting negatively, you just brace yourself and just calm down and listen to them. Mm -hmm. And the reason why this was so important was having said that to these parents, a couple of days later, a mother reached out to me who was there, and her son had met a stranger on the internet, and the guy was aggressively raped this boy, Mm -hmm. and they had to take him to the hospital and just deal with a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And she said that she remembered what I said, and she said that she did not react Mm -hmm. negatively. She didn't get all emotional. She remained calm, and she was there for her son. She was present, and they helped him through that trauma. And that's why it's so important for your kids to be able to talk to you, because if they go into that lifestyle, they need to know no matter what, you know, regardless of what God's word says, and I stand by God's Mm -hmm. word, I still love you. I don't affirm it but know that when you are tired of that life and you're ready to come home, you have a safe place to be. And I'm here to listen to you and you can talk about whatever you need to and share. Because when that child feels that you are the safety net Mm -hmm. and they open up to you, then you can get inside their head and now you know how to pray for them. Mm -hmm. Communication is so important. Gary, you know this. And if only, I don't know about you, if only I had had a place to communicate everything that, that was in my head and just simply have someone who cared enough to say, let me help you sort this out and let's process through this, process this, let's walk through mm-hmm. it. How differently or radically would my life have been? Right. Who knows?
1: Well, I, I absolutely. I so agree. One of the things that I talk a lot about, or one of the questions I'm asked often and when I'm doing events or preaching or teaching or doing a conference or whatever, uh, either during the conference, during a Q&A time, or after uh, sharing, someone will come up to me, and ask what oftentimes pastors like what um, what's the biggest thing that you think we could do to begin changing um, uh, our church and and we talk a lot about the idea that churches today are understandably and I think in some ways rightly looking for great programs but they're 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 going out and finding good programs they're bringing them back into a broken environment and the reason the broken the environment is broken is because everybody's living in secrecy in the church on some level I, I, whether it's mm-hmm. sexual, which is a rampant issue, heterosexual brokenness, pornography addiction, mm-hmm. etc but but also uh, and, and sleeping you know with your boyfriend or girlfriend and and adultery I mean all of that is going on in the church all the time mm-hmm. on, on a basis that's more frequent than what most people would ever dream of. but uh, food addictions, you know, overeating, gluttony, um, eating disorders, Certainly, chemical addictions. Uh, people that have been on prescription medicine and have gotten hooked on on something because of maybe a legitimate accident or something where they were in pain. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we are not talking with one another about in the church, and so the the church winds up being this environment that is is very broken because we're not vulnerable with each other. And and so that's one thing that I talk to them about. But the other thing is part of what helps to transform the environment of a church into a really safe place, but also transfer, transformational place, is when the body is talking to one another about our stories. And and so I'm a firm believer that I think a church, and that this isn't the only thing that a church needs, obviously, but a church that will uh, prayerfully incorporate um, into its regular services a three-minute well edited video of a of a person's testimony. I mean, I cannot imagine and listening to you talk share your story, I think you and I would totally agree on this. What would it have been like to hear a man share uh, back when, you know, when I was eight, ten, twelve years old, and you too, what would it have been like to hear a man share about um the experience of getting hooked on pornography, playboy, hustler, whatever? and 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 really delving diving into that world as a Christian and becoming consumed by it and 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 yet the Lord uh, graciously bringing them out of that place through you know community prayer, what have you uh, counseling maybe uh, what would it have been like to have heard um a story like that, let alone uh, maybe several stories of uh, I mean more than several and again, the idea I'm communicating is I think every week there needs to be a story of of people who have overcome one area or another that God, and everybody, every one of us has it. Everybody has, whether it's an attitude of the heart that's been a a besetting sin issue, a a root of bitterness, of pride or self-righteousness, you know, all of the more commonly gossip, more of the more commonly accepted um, areas of sin in the church, those are egregious to the heart of God because they made the church such an unsafe place, particularly gossip, and, and what, it, what would it have been like for us to hear testimonies as a young person and, and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go and talk to that person. God is actually God actually does that in someone's life. There's hope for me. I mean, it would have been a total game changer, I think, for me. What, what do you think?
0: Gary, not only that, you are right on, but the other thing that I've often said to pastors and, and Christian leaders is if in the bulletin, because as you know, there are a lot of men and women who are struggling with bisexuality or whatever, sure. and they're in the church, and they're married, and they have no one to talk to. If someone had just had something in the bulletin, if you are struggling with sex, same-sex attraction or whatever it is, here's a confidential phone number, here's the name of the person, I'd love to see their photo, because for me, I, I want to see who I would sure. want to reach out to, to where I could anonymously reach out to them or even anyone who's in the church who is struggling, but to know that, wow, there is someone I could talk to and and it would be a safe place and they've been vetted. Or if the pastor stood up in the pulpit and actually set the tone and said, I don't care what sin you're dealing with. We call it all out, but we are here to help and lift up everyone to help you know that you can overcome that And if you are struggling with A, B, C, D, E, abortion, and same-sex attraction, F, G, H, I, and you Mm -hmm. just went on down the list, you can contact me because I'm not going to judge and condemn you, but I'm going to help you and give you hope. And we've got people here who will work with you and counsel you. Anything like that would have just given me, it would have been a game changer for me. But again, you and I, I I presume you as well, but I had to struggle in silence. I had no one Mm -hmm. to talk to. I absolutely feared If I told the wrong person and they went back and told my father, what would his reaction be? And as you know, Gary, so many LGBT youth are kicked out of their homes and they are disowned by their families because of just merely coming out as LGBT. And so these are very valid concerns. And I just hope Christians will wake up and realize the deeper underlying issues and insecurities and really just set the tone and speak out. And Gary, this is another thing whenever I would hear a group of people making very derogatory remarks about homosexuals, right. it would have made a difference to me if someone in that group had said, look, guys, I know we can joke about that and stuff, but I know that if my child or if someone I knew was struggling with that issue, I would not condemn them. I would not mistreat them. I would love on them and just simply tell them the truth of God's word and tell, show them how much God loves them. I could have, in the background... Made a note of that. Oh, here's somebody right who would be a safe right. person to talk to. It's things like that mm-hmm. that we need signals, something so we know that there's a safety net somewhere yep. where we can talk to someone.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, the matters that we're we're talking about uh, are are not laughing matters at all. And I I know what you're saying, and I've been around it. I've heard the jokes as well, and uh, in, in in Christian circles, and I I think in most in in I think that's changed a lot from what it once was. But it was really damaging back then. One of my wife's stories is shortly after coming to faith in Christ's genuine faith and having broken up with um from a guy that she was engaged to for marriage and getting involved with the woman and feeling like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. and 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 then that that relationship falling apart, uh, not even very long after it started. but but now it implanted this, um, this really deep bond, uh, with a lesbian identity and this desire to be with a woman. And when she finally did come to uh, faith in Christ, they not too long after all of that, it was through the testimony of a woman who had gotten involved with another woman in her Bible study and, and how God had opened her eyes. Anyway, that led my wife to faith. And, and it, but after that she was on campus at her university, and I think it, it was one of the camp, it doesn't matter which one, but one of the campus ministries that was putting together an event that somebody was coming and sharing their story of coming out of homosexuality or what have you, and they're trying to think of, uh, come up with a name for the event. And of course, it, it you know, one person says one thing and one says another, and before long, they're roaring and laughing about all of these different names. And my wife's sitting there, right, in the group in trying to help plan this event, and, and it just brought up so much shame and, and so much anger for her that and, and she finally stood up and and said, if you had any idea what it was like to wrestle with these things, you wouldn't be laughing about it. And she knew she was outing herself at that point. Mm-hmm. and 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 also the fact, I mean one of the first the things she would say is she had become more and more um, masculine in her appearance, up to the point that she had accepted Christ as her savior. And, and, and that didn't just automatically change on a whim. She was still very much presenting that way. And so she's thinking, what is wrong with you? I mean, can you not understand that I'm wrestling with my femininity, you know, and the idea that you would just joke and laugh about this and just be clueless about where I was at. And the truth is, it doesn't matter whether she was presenting that way or not. It's just inappropriate. We don't know what people are wrestling with. And so anyway, th- th- that's the, th- that's just an example of in our naivete and in our foolishness we can actually she walked away she stormed out of the room and she left and she felt like she was she felt like that if she hadn't met on the way if god hadn't put a christian guy in her in her path like she knew he was a christian and um and and she he said oh my gosh what happened and he intervened the lord brought him you know into her life at that moment and she started crying which she never did she or rarely did and she started crying and just told him what had happened of course he was upset and anyway but the but she felt like she probably would have just walked away from everything christian at that point um just because of that one situation so we have to be aware of of the people around us we have to be aware of the gravity of of what people could be wrestling with that we you know, it might be our best friend and we think we know them so well. Many times, husbands and wives, close friends, people that have gone to church together for years and people that are in small groups together, there's all kinds of secrets that people are hiding and have not yet revealed in most cases in the church. And those secrets really do need to come out into the light for the sake of healing, restoration, and also the reality that the only way we can be fully loved, truly, is to be fully known by some. And when we know that we are fully known, and then those people love us anyway, that love really does penetrate the outer exterior of our of our person and really makes it into our heart, which it can be so deeply transformational for us. And again, that's on any issue. It doesn't mean just LGBT. But we certainly need to be more sensitive and aware for those that are wrestling with identity issues that those are painful places, and we need to handle those as a church in a way that is um, inviting people into the light, inviting people into the freedom that Jesus has for them, not stirring up shame or uh, defensiveness that is actually going to work against the movement of the Holy Spirit in their life. So...
0: Yeah, and I would like to add to that, Gary. Um, one of the things that has was healing for me was when I went back into the church and I was meeting the Christian men who didn't who weren't insecure. Mm-hmm. And just walking in and they're like, hey, buddy, and they give you that bear hug. Yep. It was so nice to just get that hug mm-hmm. from a, a man mm-hmm. to feel like, oh, because I don't know about you. I really struggled with how do I how am I supposed to act around men. Yep. When all I know is being around men for the possibility of sex, yep, so there was a whole issue in that. Um, and to have men, you know hug you and and you know, just feeling like you're a brother in christ and and feeling like you're you belong, that really just has been such a healing process for me. But I wanted to ask you, and there's a reason why I'm asking mm-hmm. this, when your wife walked away. And she was angry. Did those people in that group ever reach out to her and apologize? The, and there's a yes. reason why I'm asking. No, that, that's a great question. And yes, I actually meant to finish
1: that part of it. They did. I mean, they the the guy that met her and listened to her um, certainly did. Uh, he, he was coming into that group. He was just running late, and so he certainly had some things to share with them, say to them. And so the the head of that reached out to her, and others apologized to her as well. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't remember all the details after that, but they did, uh, they did apologize uh, for, you know, what,
0: what they were, what they were doing. Well, the reason why I wanted to say that is this is where I get so, and you'll have to forgive me because when I talk about this, my feelings and emotions, it's still pretty wrong. Yeah. But even in the liberal church, this is what I just get so sick and tired of the hypocrisy of the liberal you know, this, oh, we love, we're so loving, tolerant, inclusive, caring, respectful, and they're not. They're just as mean and hateful as some of the Christians that they rail against. Mm -hmm. So when I was sitting in a liberal church and God was really working on me, I was asked to sit on a panel and many people within the church were asking me questions. And one guy stood up and he said, and I knew by the tone of his Mm -hmm. voice, the way he asked this question, this was really the, okay, George, you know, do it or get off the pot this is this is my aha moment mm-hmm. so to speak and he said to me george where do you think that god is really taking you on this path and gary i knew right then this this is not the path for me and i just told him i said i'm going to turn my back on this life and i'm going to follow christ this is not what god has planned mm-hmm. and the outrage and the reaction of people right. in this church lesbians yelling at me and stuff and so people that were on the panel even the moderator said now this is george's opinion and i felt so shamed and dismissed not one person stood up for me and after i walked away left the stage and walked outside not one person to this day has ever contacted me and said i'm really sorry that that happened we need to be respectful of your journey and if you feel that this is not what god has planned for you and you want to follow christ We need to be respectful of that. None of them. And I knew then I wasn't even safe in this liberal church. And it really just pains me that even with the LGBT friends that I lost, did any of them ever just say, well, look, George, I may not agree with the whole Jesus thing, and I certainly don't agree that being homosexual is wrong. But you know what? If this makes you happy, and if this is what you feel you need to do, I support you 100%. Didn't even get that kind of support. I lost friends left and right. So it's just amazing how people say they care, but they have no respect for a person who feels that what they need to do for their own journey and their peace of mind and their sanity, that they can't even get behind it because it's all about their agenda and what they want. And if you disagree or if you step out of line, uh, you know, as you know, Gary, you're attacked and, and vilified and, and, tossed aside and talked about and you're accused of being mentally ill or a self-loathing homosexual and go kill yourself and all of these negative things. It's, I think, saying all of that, I hope Christians can step back for a moment and realize how difficult a road it is because when you are in the gay lifestyle, the Christians certainly back decades ago hated you, and then if you leave the gay lifestyle and go follow Christ, then they turn on you and hate you. It's like, where do you find... (laughs) A happy medium, right. and, and find a, a support system and love and nurturing. It's a difficult journey for anyone walking out of that. Yeah,
1: light. it is, and I think uh, you know what you're describing. It, it it really is. The onus is on the church, um, not the world, but the onus is on the church to uh, to be a place that, uh, similar to what I mentioned, like with Laura Perry's uh, parents' church and the way that they reacted to her. Like they were, it was so much it was so similar to the response that Jesus tells in the parable of the, of the lost son, of the father who didn't go running after his son, who wasn't there enabling him and all that he was doing, but rather uh, was waiting and was waiting, was not just waiting, but was watching uh, because he sees a son coming from a long way off. So the, and then when he does, when he sees him, I mean, you know, he shuts up the apology and, all of that and instead uh, throws the uh, cloak around him and puts a ring on his finger and and they begin a celebration because his son who is dead is now alive you know so the the um, the church certainly needs to learn how to walk alongside of people in a way that is where we understand what is what is biblically true and we understand that when a person, Goes headlong in a direction of rebellion, whatever that is, whether it's LGBT or it's otherwise. They go headlong in a direction of rebellion against God or doing their own thing, meeting their own needs, uh, their own way, whatever that is. That they, they are setting themselves up for disaster, and so I mean they're moving down a pathway toward disaster and destruction. We need to know that and and understand that that's true, and not waffle like so many within in a in, um, in more so-called progressive. Uh, churches, I'd say, regressive, but whatever. Uh, more liberal churches would say we need to recognize that, but at the same time, we cannot force somebody to choose Jesus. We can't force somebody on the timeline that we desire. What we can do is we can pray and pray, and we can make ourselves available to as as the Lord leads. We, I think, it's important that we learn what boundaries mean. That we that and that means no in times when it 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 rips our guts out to actually tell somebody I can't do that for you right now because they're not at a place where they're actually wanting to change they're just asking us to basically uh, um, do something that's going to reinforce their addictive behavior whether it's give them money or do this or that and so in saying that though the, the church does need to I believe really live in that tension of knowing firmly what the truth is and also i'm th- that i myself and th- this is the case right now in many ways many within the church are living a compromised life they're saying the right things and yet in maybe different areas they might they might have it all you know squared away when it comes to lgbtq but in some other secret area of their life they they don't have the support they need they're not willing to be known by others uh and receive the help that they need to break patterns of sin in their own life so that's that's hypocrisy obviously but we need to walk with people in a way that is gracious and gentle and inviting and still truthful. And that's um, that isn't easy. I mean, it's easier to just be a jerk. I mean, it's easier mm-hmm. to just you know let the chips fall where they will and, and drop your truth bombs. But that's not that's not biblical. Uh, truth is biblical, but not that way of doing it. Nor is it biblical to just stand by and applaud and clap and and celebrate sin. Now, when it comes to what you were talking about, where, and it's a very, very important point, is that the, you know, the the group that is um, purported to be loving and gracious and kind and um, affirming and all of that is, you know, that that whole group, the the those that would celebrate lgbtq are often some of the nastiest uh, people and the mm-hmm. um as soon as you're like you said as soon as you step out of line with the what what you know we're all for you as long as you are moving in the direction that we're moving in but as soon as you step out of line and, and a great case in point is if you are moving toward uh, a transgender process If you are a boy or a girl and you're questioning your sexuality, you'll be celebrated throughout that whole process. But if you, um, like Chloe Cole, who is a detransitioner and so many other detransitioners, if you begin to detransition, you're going to get kicked to the curb faster than you can even imagine because you're no longer towing the party line. And so Mm -hmm. the compassion's gone, the love's gone, the celebration's gone you're gone as far as that group is concerned. Unfortunately, the church has kind of modeled that. Some churches have modeled that, and honestly, we should be modeling exactly the opposite. And you said this earlier. I can't remember what the context was, but even when people walk away from the church or they walk away from their Christian families what they should be walking away to to go toward rebellion and sin and do whatever the heck they want to do, but what should be implanted in them because of the way that they grew up and because of their experience in the church is if I get to a point where I'm sick of this or where I realize, oh my goodness, this was a bill of goods. I went I, I went down the wrong road here. They should know that the place of home is in the church, and the place of real home is in their is in their own family because they were loved so well and so deeply in those places um, and that they have a place to go back to. And I, I, I think that the story again of the lost son and the prodigal father, the prodigal son really highlights that is that he immediately knew after he had tried to, even when he's eating the, the, the food thrown out for the pigs and all that, he, finally he comes to his senses and he knows that even if he's nothing more than a servant or a slave, that at least he would have plenty of food and his father would at least take him in on that level. And so he returns home. Well, that needs to be how we are sowing into our children, sowing into those in the body of Christ, that when they leave, if they leave, prayerfully they won't, but if they leave, that they know that they have a place to come back again where they are going to be loved and celebrated not for sin, but
0: celebrated because they're coming back to the father. Yes. And Gary, I think something else that's important to address, and maybe you've addressed this in other podcasts, but a lot of the Christians, I understand when you want to affirm your LGBT family, friends, and coworkers, because who doesn't want someone to be happy and to love and be loved? But what they don't know is the reality of the lifestyle that they are about to push that person into. Mm -hmm. And Gary, as you know, it is a destructive lifestyle. It's a very dangerous lifestyle aside from just the sexually transmitted diseases, um, the dangers of meeting strange men wherever, you know the number of people who've been drugged, raped, Mm -hmm. robbed, murdered, um, the domestic violence issues, the drugs, the alcohol, the pornography, all of these things that come with that package, the temptations, this is something that most people don't know about. And so they're getting this sanitized version from Hollywood, and they'll showcase these celebrities and, oh, look how happy they are. They're rich, they're beautiful, and they're in love. And that's not the reality at all. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that there aren't exceptions, but what you and I both know is that what we are saying, it's the norm, it's not the exception. Mm -hmm. It's a very destructive, sad lifestyle. And most people in that lifestyle are broken, they're depressed, they're suicidal, and I have seen well-dressed, beautiful, handsome, successful gay men, who had it all, or would appear to have it all, get so immersed in that lifestyle that they end up on drugs, they lose everything, they lose their businesses, they turn to prostitution, they're now HIV positive, Mm -hmm. some go into the porn industry. I have seen the casualties in that life. I'm sure you Mm -hmm. would agree to that as well, Gary. So to the Christians, to the woke Christians who think, oh, I'm so wonderful, I'm affirming this, You would be mortified if you knew the truth of what you're really pushing them into, not only into a lifestyle where they're never going to find peace and happiness, but you're pushing them into further rebellion against God. And we're talking about their souls. Mm -hmm. So I'm pleading with people to rethink their position and lovingly speak the truth of God's word. It's not, as you say, Gary, it's not our job to fix people, but we can plant the seed. It's God's job To do the transformation in their life and he knows exactly what needs to be done to bring them out of that bondage and to wake them up but we don't want our loved ones to die and go to hell that's why it's so important that we must stand against this agenda but love the individuals because god loves them and jesus died for them as well yeah absolutely and and of course again the, the idea of
1: people going to hell has to do with the entire world is lost apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And only those according Mm -hmm. to Jesus, um, that he is the way to the father. No one else comes to the father, but through him. So, uh, Mm -hmm. or no one comes to the father, but through him. And, and so the, the, in one sense salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the Christian faith is totally inclusive because everyone is invited, but it's completely exclusive in that there is one door. There are not many, and And so, when we are are affirming people in sin, whether that be in, in in a lifestyle in a pattern of sin, we don't know where they're at spiritually. We don't know if they're a Christian in in living a carnal life. We don't know if they are ones who have, like for me, I pray the sinner's prayer. I don't know how many times growing up as a as a kid, but I don't I did not come to genuine faith in Jesus until my until probably 23 years of age. And so had I had someone around me, who was a progressive, who was telling me I could have my boyfriend, I could have a husband, I can have Jesus, I can have all of this. I They would have been, in the out of the best of their intentions, patting my butt right into hell because I'd never surrendered mm-hmm. my life to Jesus up to that point. And walking out of um, my sin and rebellion, my brand of sin and rebellion, and, and everybody has their brand of sin and rebellion, what that could look like for them. But walking out of that was part of the surrender of, of giving my life to Jesus. And it has not been a perfect journey by a long shot. There's been, you know, pits afterward and all of that. But mm-hmm. there. But I definitely know that that was um, a time when I, in my, again, 23 years of age or so, where I gave my life to Christ genuinely. and And so you're right. As Christians, we have to be really careful what we're affirming sometimes, oftentimes, our love and our so-called grace is so sloppy, it's not biblical. It's actually cooperating with um, people's destruction. But frankly, it's a lot easier to do that. It, you know, you're not yeah. getting into conflicts, mm-hmm. you're not getting into arguments, you're not you don't you're not viewed as the bad person for not affirming what the culture is saying is wonderful and good and some churches are doing the same. No, it's a harder thing to love well, to love biblically, and I'm often reminded of 1 Corinthians 6 um, or rather, 1 Corinthians 13, we all know as a love chapter, but verse six says that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And so we as Christians need to let that be a barometer for how we love others and uh, and make sure that our love is actually aligning with the truth of God's word and is aligning with um, with the author of life, says through his word, produces life and produces joy that is everlasting and eternal, not just that which feels good for the moment. So, hey, George, it has been so good talking with you. And I'm so grateful that our audience of either listening or watching this podcast are able to hear from you. Would you just, uh, if if there's any final thoughts, I'd love you to share those. But I also would want to make sure that um, that you put out information about your book. And if there's any other way that you would like people to who might want to follow up with you, or follow you, or whatever? How can they go about doing that?
0: You can find all information on my website. It's George Carniel E-A-L dot com. There's an email address, so if anybody wants to reach out, if you have any questions, I need prayer. Uh, please reach out to me. It ha- you'll have information on the book and where to find it. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. But Gary, the last thing that I think I would like to leave with the LGBT individuals is this. If you've tried everything else, what do you have to lose by giving Jesus a chance? If you can honestly say, you know, I've just spent some time in this life and I'm still not feeling that real peace and wholeness that I'm looking for. There's still something missing. I would encourage you to sit down and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just really pay attention to the teachings of Jesus and how much he had so much compassion for the broken and the outcast and the demonized, the sick, the widows, the poor. He has such a heart for them and he loves you. And I'm just saying, um, just be honest with yourself. Hell is not worth a romp in the sack and partying it up and just living in this world and gaining a bunch of fame and material possessions and how much money you have. There's so much more to this and life is short. And I would just encourage you to take your salvation seriously Um, because God took it seriously because he hates sin so much, it cost him the life of his son. And Jesus died, he was buried, he was resurrected. We know he's sitting at the right hand of God. He's in charge, God is on the throne and he's an advocate for you and he loves you, but he's not going to force himself upon you. You must use your free will to come to him, but sit and read God's word. And if people are telling you one thing that contradicts God's word, God's word is always the final authority. Mm -hmm. So don't listen to the world listen to God, He loves you, and freedom can be found in Christ. Absolutely. That's awesome. George, would you mind just uh, praying for us to close
1: out our time together?
0: Yes. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Gary and the fact that we can do this broadcast. And Lord, I just pray that everyone listening will hopefully feel encouraged and more enlightened, and will feel more bold to go out there and really understand that we are living in the last days, and we need to get our loved ones saved. And God, I just pray, Father God, for any LGBT individual or anyone who's in any kind of bondage, Lord, who feels like such a piece of garbage, that you could never love them, that you would never forgive them. God, please help them to see that salvation is available to everyone, including that most broken of individuals. And God, I pray that you would pour out your mercy and grace on them and help them to know and to really understand how much you love them. To feel your peace in your presence, and I pray that you would just draw draw them to you, Lord. And I pray that they will come to know Christ before it's too late, and that you will have mercy on their souls. And I pray that people would start operating with more compassion and yet conviction, and listening to the broken, and just trying to help with them and walk with them on this journey, Lord. Um, and we just give you all the praise, honor, glory that you deserve. And we thank you so much, Jesus, for what you did on the cross, because. Had you not done that, we would not be having this conversation today. So you get all the praise, honor, and glory as well. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in our lives and giving us comfort. And we praise you, and we thank you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name, that will be done, Lord. Amen. Amen. George, thanks again for joining us and everybody else who's listening
1: in. Thank you for watching, for listening, for joining us for this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you in a future podcast. Blessings. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.